better because we're siblings because of the level of honesty we have with each other and then the complete level of trust. And that's not like even worrying that somebody's going to like steal your money or something. Like people have these horror stories in Hollywood about trust, but actually at the end of the day, what you want to be able to trust is are we all making the same movie and are we all invested, equally invested in, the, in its success? And that is the thing that we can guarantee that's the bedrock of, of our partnership. Welcome back to Nothing Shines Like Dirt, episode 47. I'm Elise Sievert. And I'm Leslie Shannon. Today, we are talking to the Dell sisters, Emily and Elizabeth. We discuss Scoopy Brain, communicating your vision, and, and there's, there's always, always a lesson, lesson to learn. Like, if you're not going to have friends, then you're also not going to have work. <laughs> Everyone you, everyone you work with tends to be like the people that you also socialize with. And so like if you're like, oh, we forgot that she exists, then we're not going to hire her to produce something. No, yeah. no, no, that's a really totally. fair point. It's, Which it's is funny a little bit of a it. tough balance because, you know, we all love being on location and being able to just focus completely on a project. But there's an aspect of you're not watering the trees while, yes. while you're doing yes. that. Yes. And so you can go away or like I'll do the thing every now and then while I'll go out into the desert and like puke out a feature script. And that's just the, the vomit draft that you have to, and then and it allows you to revise from there, but it's like about that activation energy and you just talk, don't talk to anybody for six straight days. And that's really freeing, but then you haven't taken any meetings and you haven't like you. So it's even less so than being off on location for a feature, but you have to continue to balance both of those things. Nurture and water all the relationships. Exactly. Which means you sometimes can get less done on a day to day. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's also just being realistic with yourself that you can't do everything at the same time sometimes. And, and, and to acknowledge that Mm -hmm. and say, this is okay. Cause I think that's something that I personally have a lot of problems with sometimes is saying like, you can't do everything at one time. You know, we get the, the the superwoman complex all right. where you're like, but I have to be doing all of these things at once. We're like, no, you can only do one thing at a time. So you might as well just relish in that. Yeah. <laughs> There's mm-hmm. also this, like, if you're writing a script, you're just mentally so exhausted. Like, I can't imagine, like, writing all day and then going out and trying to have an intelligent conversation after my brain is, like, jello. <laughs> <laughs> So she knows, uh, so I, I, I know my process well enough that I know like what are my peak hours and about how long I can go from there. And if I'm out in the desert, I can max that out. But I get to this point where I call it scoopy. So <laughs> it's like my bur- like the like my brain has, uh, and the visual is like somebody had opened up the top of it and there's just like this gray jello and someone's just been <laughs> scooping it out and putting it on pieces of eight and a half by 11 paper. Yeah. And I've really just scooped funny. my brain. And so there's nothing left in there because it's all on this paper, even though of course that's, you know, you're typing. And so she'll like, it's, it's not loopy. It's like a little weird. It's scoopy. It's yeah. scoopy. I'm like, I, I'm like, where am I? There, there will scoopy. be no rational thought. And then I'm like, let's talk about this project and she's like, no, yeah. let's do that another time. <laughs> but you come back from it. That's yeah. what you realize. Yeah, it's yes. like, oh, yeah, it's just like, you know, you, you take a nap or you have a snack and you, the, the human be- body can do a lot of things. It can. Yeah. But I think it's important to know that about yourself, right? Your process and how you go about creating work. And then it helps to maximize the time that you are spending on something. So instead of trying to do too much at once, if you split it up and like, okay, I know that when I've been writing for X amount of time that I only have this much time. Um, that I, my brain is still functioning and then and then you can schedule the things for 
for other times so that it helps to keep you from spending time doing something that you're not doing it efficiently. Yeah. I actually think the healthiest thing that anyone can do is understand their own process without judging it. Just understand what sets them up the most for success. And that could be the, that should be the times of the day. It should be the environment that you're in. It should be the people that you're around. There's a lot of people who, or do I listen to music or not? And there's a lot of circumstances where, you know, you want to be in an office or you like, even if you're just doing busy work or administrative work, you're, I'm going to be more focused on it if I'm around like in this kind of environment, or I know that I need, need the opposite of that. It's really like optimizing the the structure of your success is as important as like the actual physically doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you guys like start working together? Was that like an organic process or was that something that was like heavily we're both, planned? We're both interested in making films and oh, no, 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 no not at all. Not, that was not the process. Um, I mean, it was really organic that we were together. We were in school together. Uh, we were sharing an apartment and we were sharing a car. Um, I a was lot of in, togetherness. Yeah, there's a lot of together. Um, I was we like each other. We like each other. It's a positive thing. Uh, we were both up uh, in Berkeley, up in Northern California. Uh, Emily was doing her undergraduate at UC Berkeley and I I was doing my graduate school work there and yeah we were sort of on top of each other and in Emily has always wanted to be a director and a writer and so she was working on short films and I was kind of working on them because of proximity because you know well this was the car and this was the project and you know uh and I was doing things like making sure that there was gas in the car before we drove somewhere <laughs> to film stuff and, you know, saying we should all stop at Subway and get some sandwiches so that there's lunch. And then I learned that that was sort of producing, that was transpo, <laughs> that was catering, that was, you know, uh, and and so the, the process was honestly, I was on track. I have a master's degree in public health. I was in an entirely different environment. But then working with my sister, it started a slow left turn that uh, took a couple of years to fully manifest, but it was just much more fun. You know, it's a, it's a huge amount of fun and it's a huge amount of creative empowerment to, to work on something like this. So it, that's what. it feels like a very similar skill set, though, to like public health of like organizing and processing how things are working and functioning and optimizing mm. it. Just just a little bit of like the skills. Yeah. Of- <laughs> I mean, I, I think the skills of a producer are the skills of I mean, they're very similar to the skills of, say, a project manager, like anyone who is good at logistics and people and you know details and timelines and kind mm-hmm. of how all, how a lot of different things kind of come together and weave together to make something happen that's a producer and that can you know you can be event planners and like wedding planners are producers and you know live shows and content or anything the i think what makes Producing an entertainment a little bit different is both the sort of the personalities and the people that you're around. And then also the level, I would say, of uncertainty and of um, of variability. You know, if you are project managing the construction of a 300-unit apartment building, there's a lot more sort of known pieces and that timeline. And there's a lot less of just things coming out from the sideways and then you're like oh I guess we have to adjust to you know a totally new environment 
but it's still the same. It's a lot of the same skills. What are some spreadsheets? Yeah. Oh, I love them. They make me warm and joyful in my heart. I, people always think I'm weird when I say that, but they do. I don't think you're weird. Oh, I appreciate that. No one at this table. By clearly, the way, clearly I've done folks producing, at home were right? sitting yes. at a table. <laughs> what have been some of those like kind of collisions that can you think of in projects that have happened where you're like, I don't know how we're going to like get through this and finding sure. solutions. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, on our first feature, there was a million of them. Uh, <laughs> I remember being outside a small club in Hollywood that doesn't exist any longer and me calling a dance agent and saying, Hey, where's that dancer? He's half an hour late to set. And she said, oh, well, let me find out for you. And called me back 10 minutes later and was like, well, he decided not to come. Uh, and I was great. like, um, okay, but we're f- he's the solo dancer that we're featuring now. Like mm. right now. And uh, okay, let me find another dancer. And, you know, let me go back inside and talk to my choreographer and talk to all of the rest of our dancers and have everyone sort of mad text their friends. And we found another, I mean, also amazing. I think we, then we inverted Milky. the day and shot a, another scene first while we were yeah. waiting for another guy to scene so that we could do that because then the dancer we found, he was like, oh, uh, he was currently, I think he, he was dancing for Janet Jackson or something, and he was leaving that afternoon. He had to go to like get his, something stamped in his passport so that he could be on a plane at like eight p.m. that night to Australia. But he was like, "But I've got like three hours, so like I can come in and like knock it out in three hours." Oh and gosh. it was a break movie. I mean, break, breakers, b boys are you know they they just go, they get on the floor and then they just do some stuff. So we were like, okay, if we can make this work, we'll make this work. And it looks great in the movie. And in the movie, you'd have no idea that that wasn't, you know, that, yep. He kind of walked on set in five minutes and I was like, sign this piece of document and get over there and just do some stuff and <laughs> turn your shirt inside out because it's got a logo on it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't you wish you could like have a sidebar for the audience to be like, and this is the backstory. That's what director's cuts are for, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the running audio track yeah. that they used to have. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but I mean, there's lots of those. And I always I always say that you, part of the pre-production process is to put in like 150 backup plans for what can go wrong. And to also know that whatever is going to go wrong will not be those 150. That like by <laughs> dint of, because you spent the time thinking of them and coming up with the plan, those things will not go wrong. It will be things you did not think of but you will have like the 150 starter sets of backup plans and you can take a little bit from here and a little bit from there and sort of make yourself a new backup plan on the fly with the things you already figured out. Yeah, so something you should know about my sister and I, we are constitutional optimists, which is probably like why we survive the, it it helps with the delusion of how we live in this town, but we're also so curious about the world that everything at least is, if it's learning something new, like that's a bonus. And so it's usually not in the moment, but when things go galactically wrong, like just so far off the rails that they've like, the rails are nowhere in sight and you're in a ditch and it's on fire. Uh, Maybe not in that precise moment, but she and I always have a moment after the fact where we're like, huh, so didn't see that happening, but now it's a thing that I will see happening. Right. Because it happened. And there's kind of this intellectual satisfaction of that. Of like, of like learning it, a lesson right? and like, yeah. That actually, uh, maybe it's all part of this, this collective delusion that I was referring to, but it, 
there is something to to yeah crossing an unknown off of a list of like oh that's a now that's a way that it could go wrong in a way that i never anticipated before mm-hmm. helps me do my job better because it's not just the curiosity it's that we love our job so much that we are always looking for how we do be- do them better how we communicate better how we unite people better how we like stick to a story or tell a story better it's it's i mean on the same production i remember we had a location fallout the day before when we'd been working on that location for nine months, um, we wanted to film in in a in in a big gym. Oh God, I wanted that twenty four hour fitness so yeah. bad. <laughs> we had scouted all over Los Angeles. We had been literally talking. I don't know if it was twenty four hour fitness or LA Fitness. It was like one of these big chains, and we'd been talking to them in this specific one for months. And uh, someone at like high level corporate who had said yes, then said no, like the day before the event. And we had to rewrite the scene basically because we weren't going to be able to get a backup gym kind of in permits and all that. And so we were like, okay, this scene literally has to take place in an entirely different environment. Like, uh, let's have it take place in her office at her day job and we'll recreate an office in our production office. And we'll just like do this, you know, and no one will notice we don't have permits, but like, this is our pre-production office and those trucks have been coming in and out for like weeks. And so no one will notice, (laughs) you know, I mean, suddenly she works at a car rental agency. (laughs) It was, um, uh, and and it was just one of those like oh, okay, but you know what to do next. I mean, I've had other times when we've a location fell through, and you were like, okay, well, this is why we scouted a dozen of them. That this was our first favorite, but we know what our t- favorite number two and number three are. And if we've got a week, we can move right to that. You know, and that's why you scout six places, and you don't even if the first one seems perfect, then you know what your backups are. You know, you've got that in your plan. That's really yeah. good advice. That How is. do you guys balance? Because like writer director versus producer like writer directors you have all these creative ideas you want to do x y and z and like as a producer sometimes you have to be like and eh, let's rein it in a little bit like <laughs> budget wise or unrealistic goal wise or whatever so how do you guys navigate that with each other and like is it better because you guys are siblings and you can kind of like give and take with that kind of relationship or well i think it's better because we're siblings because of the level of honesty we have with each other and then the complete level of trust. And that's not like even worrying that somebody's going to like steal your money or something. Like people have these horror stories in Hollywood about trust, but actually at the end of the day, what you want to be able to trust is, are we all making the same movie and are we all invested, equally invested in the, in its success? And that is the thing that we can guarantee that's the bedrock of, of our partnership. And so I'm never going to take a note as like, oh, that's somebody like with their own agenda or torpedoing the project because of this other reason. Like that's off the table. However, this point you brought up about budgetary realities, neither of us are at the place where we make work that has, that is irrespective of budgetary concerns. Like maybe someday, but I don't even think like that exists. Like maybe when we're making Transformers movies, <laughs> even then like shit's There's expensive still, and yeah. you have to pay for shit. Yeah. And so the fact that we work together and we un- we both understand that there's an aspect of production that I understand. There's an aspect of creative storytelling that she understands. We like to think of as having a sort of, because we're siblings and because we're so close, the sort of the Venn diagrams, like the circles of what we each do sort of get closer and they overlap a bit more mm-hmm. so that she understands sort of producing realities a bit more than she would maybe in other contexts. And I understand writing and directing you know, a bit more. And then also I think 
we have a really clear sense or a much stronger sense of what exactly we love in every project and what we really, you, you as a producer taking on someone else's project, they hand you a script and you know that they value the whole script. But there's of course more scenes that are more precious and less precious mm -hmm. things that matter, like that are more fundamental to the, to the theme of the movie or to the idea of the character and less and I don't necessarily read those the same way as the writer would if I don't know that person really well. I know Emily really well. And so when we're going into a project, when there are places where like budgetary concerns mean you can have X, but you will have to horse trade for Y, um, there's a better understanding from the beginning of what her priorities would be. You know, I mean, on a set, if someone has a question, half the time I can field it and keep Emily focused on what she needs to do because... I know the answer to what the director would say to that. Um, uh, but then, yeah, we, we just were able to have those, to have a lot more understanding of the same, being on the same project. Yeah, I think a lot of times you could think that a producer when reading a script would be like, oh, here's the scene in the spaceship. Does it have to be in a spaceship? Can it just be like on the ground someplace cheaper? But <laughs> um, uh, lately, especially most of Elizabeth's notes are much more about tone and these big high level things that usually uh, that are more creative and go to the DNA of a project and of, like, why are we telling this story and what are the elements that are the heart of it? And I think that you can't, I think you, you do yourself a disservice if, if the, the people who are detail oriented are not aware of the bigger picture and the bigger picture people are not aware of the details. Like you're, mm -hmm. you're, you're really only doing half of a job in either capacity. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, like any piece of, of film related art is about individual details creating a larger whole. And so you all have to have that forest entries like ability to perceive at all times. I but, love that. Yeah, that is really cool. That's a great way to describe it because you do have you have to do both. Mm -hmm. Just one or the other won't cut it. Yeah, somebody I can't remember who it was. Like some director, we we're like panel junkies. We listen and we just also I love, it. love the craft. Yeah, <laughs> love the craft. You're those people. No, I'm joking. That's amazing. Uh, and there was somebody who was saying some director who was like, "Yeah, you on any given set, and a producer is interchangeable. Um, you're gonna have to be asked 500 questions a day." three to five of them will alter the DNA of the project you are making. And you have to understand and flag those three to five of them and understand the stakes of them. The rest of them are like, well, um, do you, like sometimes the, do you want the car to be red or blue is not a story question. Sometimes it is. Mm -hmm. uh, or it's a very strong stylistic if there's a row of five other red cars and you don't put another red car there or something like that. It's your job is to understand those the critical nature of those detail questions. How do you as a director, because it's so imperative as a director to speak of your vision to your crew, to your actors, to your producing team, to your investors, mm -hmm. what are some things you have found that have been really effective of being clear about your vision so everyone is on the same page with those details? So I, that's a great question because it's something that I take really seriously. It's something I also think I've gotten a lot better at. And I'm now at the place where I have no patience for directors who can't communicate their vision because we're in a job that like, one, you're supposed to rally people behind you. Um, and two, like we're telling a story, which means we are communicators. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? 
fuck are we doing? <laughs> We're not communicating well. <laughs> yeah. So Fair. I will make a deck for not just every department head. I'll make a deck to answer any visual question. It's like, oh, yeah, you want to talk about lighting of this one room? Let me make a deck for you on that. Amazing. And so it, it, or it, like it doesn't have to take an, a, a year. It can take an hour. It's just you should part of your homework should be having very clear ideas about how you want it to look. And then also knowing, and this is really important, you guys, knowing the places where it's not going to radically affect the story. And you're like, really? That I'm flexible on. You bring me your inspiration there. Or even if it's a place that will affect the story, but it's a, where someone else can inject their creativity. Like, again, it's knowing that line of where are the things, where, what are the, what's the heart of the story, whole, having an incredibly specific percept, uh, understanding of that, but also seeing where other people can contribute creatively. So, for instance, um, one of the projects that we just did, which is a little monster movie on Crypt TV, the sound is incredibly important in any anything in genre, horror, action. And I have, like, I'll have told the story and I'll have a sense of, actually, I... I made an audio deck. <laughs> what it meant is I pulled a ton of scenes that I was like, I like this scene. It creeps me out. And these thing that tiger chuffs. Okay. So these things that tigers do, that's like the, when an ant, when a cat purrs. So Ooh. lions don't purr. Tigers do this thing called chuffing, which is like a purr cough. And so it's like wet. It's like if the purr was really wet. And so it's also there's this subtle human thing that we're terrified of it because it's. I think we can we can perceive it as a, that came from a giant predator. Yeah. So it's a scary sound. Mm -hmm. And so I would I like I pulled a bunch of those. I pulled a bunch of you know Jurassic Park and other great things as the equivalent of a deck, but of like of references. And then I handed those over to the sound team in a. And this was all part of a lar larger conversation. Then I said. Here's here's the baseline, you guys. Like you're good at this. You work on shit like how to get away with murder and scandal. Like show me your version, and let's come to something that's better than what I would have thought of alone. Because mm -hmm. well, that's what filmmaking is like mm -hmm. a collaboration. Yeah, and that's yeah. I mean I think that's what draws a lot of the people who really love to do it and can't bring themselves to stop doing it is because you love that sense of accomplishment and, cl and collaboration with people and having a creative vision that does like change and and morph into this thing that's even more beautiful than it could have been before mm -hmm. because you have these people who are on your team. Well, and you also mm. gave them tangible things instead of just verbally communicating ideas but but those tangible that research and that yeah. depth of it and that's the thing that I think we live in this society that everything's so fast and and um quick paced because of social media and people aren't doing that kind of detailed work even in a short that yeah. you know and now you have what almost six million views Thank for this you. short yes. online which is incredible yeah. i really um, hoped her, that in the playback of this podcast you guys like cut to a tiger chuff <laughs> <laughs> i feel like i want to find one <laughs> yes i yes. want to find what it really? sounds like so what was the inspiration for that particular uh story oh so that's called troubled youth and it's a very short piece for Crypt TV, which is a digital horror outlet that does short form horror. It's kind of about their their deal is trying to find the next Freddy, Jason or whatever. And I'd been talking to that studio for uh, about eight months, actually workshopping a couple of different ideas. But 
I don't want to give. Don't I give mean, it away. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or should I? I mean, do you feel like people will have seen it? In which case, we can. It's an. We'll, we'll make sure in the to intro <laughs> to tell them to go watch it. So yeah, yeah. Actually, like once people have seen it, there are some. I should also say in the kind of 50,000 square foot, uh, sorry, um, 50,000 foot view is so my sister and I really strongly self-identify as genre filmmakers, but people who make what's called elevated genre or emotional genre. And at the end, and that means we're doing a lot of action and horror these days that has a, an emotional truth at its core. And that is something we're both very proud to work on. And I don't find that like, I, I, we will. I will stand on a soapbox until the day I die, upholding the validity and the and the power of genre filmmaking when it's done at its best. And I think what's nice is the Oscars have like proven that to the world this past year. Troubled youth has at its root a pretty difficult issue. I wanted to make people take another look at a school shooting in a way that that kind of inverts their expectations and and tells a, an interesting story but it's also not um no I, I, you guys can cut out this part I like, <laughs> I like, I'm like, no i want to say that a different way <laughs> i wanted to tell something i wanted to say something meaningful and i think mm-hmm. that is the way that elizabeth and i approach everything that we do but you can say something meaningful in a horror movie. You can say something meaningful in an action scene or a f- really great fight between people in a prison. Like you can always be trying to do more. And that I think is is the brand that we bring to this. And with Troubled Youth, what was exciting is they the tagline of Crypt is monsters within. And so I liked this idea of like of of the monster inside of someone is is kind of like the last mo- like the last person you expect to be a monster is the one who is and and it's a way of of showing that everybody kind of has this monster in them mhm yeah i mean that just makes me think of a really kind of cheesy line from Mother Teresa, like when someone asked her why she's so good and she's like, because I have Hitler inside of me. <laughs> and I think that's, wow. I think it's true. It's like, which, I didn't know she yeah, that. she did no. say that. It's like, wow. what wolf do you feed? Do you mm-hmm. feed, you know, if you want to, if you want to split things into good and bad, you know, that's a whole nother conversation of what, it, <laughs> you know, the judgment of good and bad. But I think that that's exactly what it nailed the head on is like, we do have these these animalistic things and people can do really horrible things. So, What was fun in the editorial on Troubled Youth is every horror movie has a reveal of like the moment where you're like, oh crap, it's that thing or it's that mm-hmm. person. It's uh, because this is a physical monster, like it's a, it's a green-headed uh, horned being. We were looking a lot at uh, Jaws as a reference and Jurassic Park as a reference. And what that means is milking that moment where you first see it. Like play, you, you want as much suspense as possible and to build up to that moment of the like, holy shit, holy shit, what's coming through that door? And what was interesting in the editorial, because I cut it myself, but it was a lot of like, do a, ca- a pass, sit with Elizabeth and talk about it, do another pass before we even showed it to the studio, is the reveal in Troubled Youth is actually not the green-headed monster. Right. It's... Mm-hmm. It's the cheerleader who conjured the monster into being. Mm-hmm. So, like, you see the true monster because you see the cheerleader, like, and you as truly evil as she is. And then a moment later, you get to meet 
fluffy, <laughs> green headed beast who actually does her bidding. Yes. Yeah. And in fact, it was a lot of milking the, the cheerleader moment for as much possible suspense as possible, uh, uh, much possible milking the cheerleader moment for as much possible suspense as we could get out of it and using fluffy just to, to strengthen that moment. I love that. Yeah. That. I, I love that. Um, so my husband loves like action genre movies. And a lot of times being an actor and a writer, I'm like, there's no story. There's no story. There's no story. And those movies that are cult classics and timeless, they have both. They can be this elevated emotional Genre, well, it's like, it's really like some of the other people, like when we talked to Sydney, she's um, one of our uh, previous guests, um, Sydney Hughes, she she likes grounded sci-fi, which is, it's it's sci-fi, but it's grounded in like real human emotion. And that's the, I think that you're so right. You can find that real emotion, that real connection with people in some way in whatever genre it is. And it's just, it, you just have to want to do that. But I know that that's, those are the type of films I much prefer mm-hmm. to anything that's just, just an action movie. That's just fluffy. Mm-hmm. So one of the, so of the things that we're currently working on, they, and, and the things that kind of fit in the pantheon that you might call like a Dell sisters project is they usually are fairly grounded with maybe one or two heightened elements. And part of that is like, there's no point in us writing movies with transformers in them right now. Cause it's like, unless it's you weird. have one <laughs> that you can go film with on your weekends, like, no, it's just not bother. But taking one piece of, of the normal world and twisting it, inverting it or making it heightened is also a very clear and interesting way to comment on on that. And so that's, that's troubled youth. That's a couple of the things that we're currently looking at. It's a way to like in allegory, frankly, like the, the, the best original screenplay category from 2017 or well, the Oscars of 2018 was such a great example of telling a story about a human truth through like inverting one weird element, like, you know, the way that the, a monster being just a marginalized person in the shape of water or uh, race relations being much more exploitative in Get Out. In Get Out, yeah. <laughs> that, that was initially the, the film that came to mind when you started talking mm. about that. So what other projects are you guys currently working on right now? Start? Sure. Um, so we are working on a couple of different projects simultaneously. One of the ones we're really excited about is a low budget horror action um, set in Southeast Asia um, and set set in the Philippines. And that's, I mean, most of the projects we're working on this one included are female driven and they're like I said, in this interesting space of being able to take really unique, really singular worlds, something that no one's seen before, but bring a really universal human element to it. So, I mean, both of us really believe that one of the things that makes a great story perform is being both extremely specific and very universal. And sometimes the universal comes from the specific. Like the Mm. more, the more 
focused in space, in time, in situation is the story you're telling. The more you are absorbed into that world and the more you find sort of the humanity in it that fits, that matches yours. And so, yeah, finding really interesting different worlds to tell stories in, but really specific ones, that's part of what we want to do. So we have a manifesto that uh, someday will be framed on the wall. And it's only three three rules for anything that we're going to make. It has to go through these filters. One, the at its core, it has to have something that feels human and true. Two, the thought of sitting in the dark and watching it sounds like fun. And three, really good actors. Mm. Like just don't move forward if it doesn't have those three things. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is those three things we came, it's not like I wrote that 15 years ago. No, we wrote that before Helen, this short film that we made with Amy Garcia that came out last year and premiered at the largest genre film festival in Asia. And it's the first time we did horror um, from, from a very grounded emotional sense. Like it's about a woman dealing with anxiety. It just happens that the anxiety is like a huge fucking monster that's like <laughs> trying to eat her. <laughs> I feel like that someday. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say, um, are you inside my head? Cause that's what I feel like a lot of times. <laughs> Written from a very personal place. And I think that's why Amy loved the story. Although we knew her all the way back from our first feature B girl. And it was also a chance for us to do another thing that is not in the manifesto, but it's something we really love, which is storytelling through movement. And it and that is dance action sequences that are just that also use the strengths of of our medium, not not necessarily verbal. Mm. Like I'm the mm. kind of director who's like, ah, throw the words out. I don't fucking care. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. If you can do it with less, great. Yeah. About <laughs> well, it's a visual, visual art form. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that. The, the projects that we're moving forward on um, all fit those three rules because we love this business because it's fun. Like I'm never going to make some sort of like angry people in a kitchen drama about <laughs> hating their family. <laughs> if there's also like, a, you know, a dinosaur outside, then that sounds great. Let's you guys grow that. up on like movies like that. Like did you grow up on those kind of movies or was it something that – yeah, like what draws you to that? So we, our parents were hippies. We didn't have <laughs> television until I was in fourth grade. And when we got the television, it only got PBS, but it had a VCR. And so I think that's why our first love has always been movies. We are both like, I, I, you know, I'm doing a lot in TV right now in terms of writing that. It's so exciting in that. But our our first love has always been features because we would just rent movies. Our parents would let, let us rent like all, whatever we wanted over the weekend but there was this one, we got a computer game mm-hmm. that of the, we got a, an Indiana Jones computer game that came with the, the VHS of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And we watched that thing until it fucking melted. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Movie that. so much. <laughs> Our whole family can pull lines. I mean, we, we are, I, it's really interesting because, yeah, our, our parents are hippies, but our parents are also physicians. They're total academics by nature. And uh, we're, we're a very academically minded family, but we all love action movies. And we have a whole world of holiday traditions of like on July 4th, we all watch Independence Day together. And, you God know, bless any, America. Like, we're home <laughs> cooking for, the holi- for a holiday and that can be Thanksgiving or Passover or whatever. But in that sort of day and a half of everybody's having to work, we will put 
Born movies, like the all of them in sequence on the television <laughs> while we're chopping apples and walnuts and things. And, you know, I mean, that's just sort of like our default go-to as a family. Like if we can't think of anything else to watch, we go back to a bunch of these action movies. Um, and we have a very odd, like our fun, quirky set of them that we love. And I don't know why, but we just love it. Love it. Yeah. Like it's just the whole family. Yeah, I love so. that that's a tradition. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. awesome. We'll take... <laughs> We'll, we'll make sure that like a DVD copy of Independence Day comes with us when we go, like if we're going on a beach holiday over July 4th, so that we have it when we're on the beach, wherever we might be. That's great. Oh, yeah. That's How did you guys decide to make that manifesto? Did someone inspire you? Did someone tell you to write that? Were you like, we need, we need a criteria to, cause there, the possibilities are endless. And a lot of times as freelancers, you sometimes you feel like you have to say yes to everything to kind of stay busy. And I think that's so great to have those, that criteria, like this is what a project has to hold for us to continue with. So that's also for anything that we make that's like under the Dell Sisters brand. Like the thing is my sister and I both do a lot of work separate from each other that I actually think con- contributes back to our partnership and it mm-hmm. brings more people into the world and it elevates our skill set. Like I said, that manifesto is not from 15 years ago. It's from three years ago because we've done enough work now that mm-hmm. I've learned, I've had things that I said yes to that I now look back and I say, okay, that what, let me case study what went wrong mm-hmm. or why I'm not happy with mm-hmm. how it ended up or, or during the process or what, what do I not, mm-hmm. what's a feeling I, I don't want to have kind again. of know that at the beginning. There's like a little seed of that sometimes, but yeah. you kind of ignore, I feel like I've done that. I've ignored it because I want to be creating or I want, you know. It's also really hard at this stage. Like neither of us is, uh, you know, phenomenally successful or making tons of money that we can say no all the time. So you end up saying yes out of need financially or like I've said yes because it was flattering. I was like, oh, (laughs) thank you. That sounds so great. And I should have said yes for better reasons. Like, But I think also, you know, there's when Emily says that our manifesto is three years old, that's because it evolved. That is mm-hmm. because you have to learn lessons. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the one of the aspects of growing as an artist and of getting better at your job is when you do it wrong. And then you're like, oh, goodness. OK, that didn't work. Why didn't that work? And next time that will feel like a red flag. Next time I will know that I shouldn't do that. But you can't always know. I mean, it's really it's really comforting to think you should have known better. But most of the time you don't. <laughs> you know, most of the time you have to trip and fall and, mm-hmm. you know, and you have to scrape up your hands and then be like, OK, next time. I'm, I'm going to get a pair of protective gloves. You know, I mean, that's what I, you, you have to learn those lessons. And so, you know, you also have to keep working. Like you, you only learn those lessons. You only learn from failure if you're failing, if you're doing. And so, but you, you know. also only learn from failure when you case study and you ask yourself hard questions. And I think one of the strongest things that our, our partnership gives both of us is a safe space to be constantly asking hard questions, constantly maybe poking into wounds that have just barely scabbed over, but in a safe space, like in a place where it's like, oh, right, what could we have done better here? What can we learn and what can we take from the future? In fact, it's now, you know, you you start that conversation and there's a lot of like, 
<laughs> and then I, and after a while, I was thinking, wait, no, you, then we just get past that. Yeah. Okay, well, let's talk. Now it's an intellectual exercise. Now it's interesting. Now what are the parts that really worked? How can we do more of that? Mm-hmm. It's funny. We, our parents live up in the Bay Area. So driving up is uh, somewhere between five and a half and six hour drive. And we have found over the years that some of our most productive conversations happen in that drive. And that can be on a project. That can be on just sort of, who are we and what are we doing and are we on the path we want to be on? Because a lot of times you get into those conversations that get sensitive and they get, they start to poke at wounds and then everybody gets really raw and then you just stop because it's too painful. You don't want to do that anymore. But what you have when you have a six hour car drive is, well, then you just stop talking for 20 minutes and then 20 minutes later, you're still in the car <laughs> and you're going to be in the car for a long time more. So maybe 20 minutes after that, someone's like, well, but if we were to think about it, and then you kind of, you, you circle back around and you, you keep the conversation, the conversation stays open in a way that otherwise you would have just said, okay, this is too much for right now. Let's go our separate ways and, you know, go run an errand or do whatever we need to do. Um, and that's really useful. It's really useful sometimes to just stay in it even when all anybody wants to do is leave the conversation because it's just no fun because mm-hmm. it's making you sad and think about things you don't like, yeah. you know, <laughs> or, or it's making you feel like we don't have as great a movie or great a script as we thought we did or like we can't solve this problem. And then you just let it sit for a while and maybe you do find a solution. Mm-hmm. So for instance, we made so we made this hip-hop dance movie but our first love had always been action and we were working i had written a script that wanted it to be the follow-up to that and uh let me start that sentence again written a script that wanted to be the follow-up to that but as our first action movie and we knew that we had never made an action movie and so there were certain production realities of like how many punches can i get through in an hour one eight i don't know (laughs) so we shot a scene from that script as an action short and it ended up doing like being really good and doing really well for us and in fact, last year, El Rey Network licensed it for a one-year run. And I think it's, I don't know, it's now a year old. No, it's almost about a year old, so it might not be running anymore, but you can find it. It's called Battle. And really proud of it. In fact, it also got us a development deal with the largest studio in China. Like a lot of success came out of this five-minute fight scene. In retrospect, I did not learn as much from that success as I should have. Because it was the first piece of material in the world of action that I made. And so I walked out of it being like, I made it. And then all this other great shit happened. So that's just how, how it goes, right? Right? <laughs> you just make something and then great shit happens. <laughs> and I went off and made three, I think, other things off of the success of battle that were nowhere near as good. And nowhere near as overall successes, meaning in the the... The process of making it wasn't as much fun. The final outcome did not lead to like development deals worldwide, like none of that. And it was a very rude awakening. And what it was is I just like, I, I sort of tripped and fell into a success or I, we didn't, I didn't case study it enough with my sister of why this one worked in a way that in the subsequent failures and in comparison, we can be like, oh, right. So we paid more for shit. And then we worked with way more experienced people. And on battle, we actually 
ended up like a like three days before the shoot, my stunt coordinator called me and with the lead actor and they were like, we want to push a week and rehearse more. And because it was just because the nature of the location and the nature, how contained it was, we actually, that was within our power. Well, it wasn't easy, but we just hustled and made the calls and that was the best decision we could have made. Mm-hmm. But how often is your stunt coordinator, or your lead actor going to ask for another week of rehearsal? Like those were exceptional people. Mm-hmm. And most people are not that exceptional. Yeah. And in retrospect, it's like, oh, right. I had fantastic people there. And then in the future, when I should have pushed production a week for rehearsal and I didn't, I paid the price. No, that's yeah. really... I, well, I was going to ask two... I have two quick quick things, because I know we're going to wrap up soon. Um, one thing is when you have those those moments of struggle or things aren't moving as like up the success ladder as quickly as you want, like what keeps you going? Do you guys have like inspiration? Do you like any ideas of things that have happened to like keep you on the road and keep you on target and not like get beaten down from things not happening as quickly? I, mean, I think... Um from, for, I think for both of us, part of it is we try and make a point of celebrating milestones, not just sort of finished projects, say, because finished projects can be very far between, you know, uh, the sort of movie made and movie not made. Um, and so things along the way and sort of the successes that happen, you know, it's it's really easy to be like, oh yeah, that's great, but then I got an email and then I forgot about it. Um, and so b- with each other, sort of taking a moment and saying, no, we have to focus and say this is a great thing. I think also it's just knowing that, w- well, one of the things that I think we've learned in this process is the work isn't wasted. Even when the project doesn't move forward the way you want it to, even when it ends up going into a box and not, you know, and you know, we had a development deal with the largest studio in China and that film did not eventually get made. Uh, in the end, we kind of got lost in their version of development hell. But it brought us to China. We made a huge number of friends and connections. We do other work there. And there's, you know, the work isn't wasted. It comes around again when you least expect it. And then also, you don't know where the next thing's coming from. Um, honestly, you know, I think for both of us, if you had asked us at any point in the last 12 years where we would be in the following year or what would be the project that took over for the next year or for the year after that or the way we, we wouldn't have the right answer. You're always juggling six or seven or 10 different things that you're working on, some small, some big. And, you know, if you had asked me a year ago, what would have been my project for the last year? I I think the odds are only 50-50 that I would have guessed right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. so you just, you, you got to know that like there is something around every corner. You never know what it's going to be, but there's always going to be something more interesting or something's going to take a left turn or something's going to find an advocate and then all of a sudden get really exciting really fast. It just happens. And then it's like the work isn't wasted as long as you're working authentically on things that you believe in with people you believe in. And so for us, it's been extremely valuable to work separately apart from meaning or apart from each other and, and use that to broaden our networks, but to also be doing work we're proud of that 
because not everything is a Dell Sisters project, and it would be great if we could just do that for the rest of our lives, but it's not. That's not the real world, and so we, when you hit those walls, you kind of have to like look around and be like, it's not just what else is around me, but who else is around me, hmm. and you. Yeah. No, that's that's a theme that comes up with guest after guest after guest is like yeah. choosing your team wisely and like people working with not not always the same people, but finding those collaborators that you elevate each other and you elevate each other's skills and vision. And, and you're able to learn things from each other that you might not have known before. Because I mean, you're right, like everything's an experience and you can learn from anything if that is something that you want to do and you pay attention to and you reevaluate. You can learn and that's, you can, knowledge, it's one of the best, best things you can gain from anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Stay humble, stay like, authentic about the work that you're like that you're doing as long as you believe in it and then that thing is like you can say no as long if it doesn't fit fit your filter but at this stage trying to be grateful for for every day that you're able to work in a creative industry Mm. that is also what I think accounts for our our networks is why people like us is why you know we bring our authentic selves gratefully to everything we do I love that so where can people find you guys online websites, Twitter, Instagram, anything you guys do so that the, our audience can come. Uh, our website is just dellsisters.com. Uh, very simple. And there's, we are also, you know, we have a Facebook account there. We have, um, yeah. Yeah. I think it links to our respective, With my Twitter, 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 Twitter as well. Cool. And then troubled youth is also, I think on the main page of Dell sisters right now, but if you just, it's also on the uh, the Crypt site, and you can just Google Troubled Youth and Crypt TV. We'll include a link, too. Right. But it's just always nice to have the visual and the audio of right. <laughs> where right. to find you on guys. how people learn, you know, everyone <laughs> take takes it in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. I could talk to you guys all day. You guys were fabulous. Thank yeah. you so Thank much you. for yeah. your yeah. insights. Really and thanks for taking the time to sit with yes. us. We really appreciate it. And Thank to you. share your beautiful knowledge. Yes. And it's exciting. Both of you guys have a lot of exciting things on the horizon. So. Thank you. Absolutely. And it's as really they fun. happen, like, let us know. We'll share them with yeah. everyone. Definitely. Yeah. Thank sure. you guys for Thank listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.